0: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.
1: Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.
0: A, a
2: really quick, actually, comment about Richter. We are being told by some other women that he actually trafficked girls and may have actually been involved with the MK Ultra project. I don't know if that's something that you've ever heard, but
0: I had never heard of that until yeah. Jeannie sent me an email about it. I don't know. I've talked to the
2: woman that that he took to different. She's not from Maryland and she doesn't want to be public with us right now, but on air. But she said, yeah, he." she recognized him. I'm sorry, my dog's barking. He's a celebrity. What can I say? That Richter actually paid her family to take her to NASA in Alabama and to a hospital in Boston, that he had invented some kind of shock box and that he was demonstrating it. And she was between the age of seven and 14, and her family was compensated for this. And they were an abusive family anyway, but their income tripled because of what they allowed him to do with their daughter. And so she remembers being like in a medical theater with politicians who were paying for this, whatever this project was, doctors, and Richter was her handler. Wow. I know. It's so bizarre. But we've heard more stories like this. So who knows what that man was up to? It
0: it fits with Maskell. When two depraved people connect, it just fits, makes it easy to believe.
2: I get to ask you the million dollar question. What is your opinion about why Sharon May did not prosecute, both what she said in the
0: series and what your opinion is? My opinion, we brought Sharon May into it and along with a female detective that was in, working in her office. Her name was Donna. I don't remember her last name, but her name yeah. was Donna. Yes,
2: I know who she is.
0: Sharon interviewed a lot of people. And like I said, I turned over to her all of my notes with all the people that I had talked to. And that brings up what they recovered from the graveyard because the whatever was dug out of the graveyard and I'm going off on a tangent, and I'll get back in a minute, I hope. What was recovered was gone through by Sharon's in-house detectives. And I know that because Judge Kaplan, who was specially assigned to our case, called a chambers conference, and we all trekked downtown, and Sharon was there with Donna. And what Judge Kaplan gave to us and shared with us was a lot of communication between Richter and... Maskell about various women he, I saw so and this is what i discuss, this is what I observed this is what i 'm diagnosing. He was sharing medical records with Maskell of many young girls, and because Richter 's attorney kept saying he doesn 't know what this why he 's been sued and Flynn was, sure he does clearly he 's involved in this somehow, and so the question, where did all that stuff go? It was in the state's attorney 's office and. Their files go down to the basement when they're done with them, and then they go to Annapolis. So I don't know that those ever got turned over to Baltimore City Police. I think they're probably somewhere, if they haven't been destroyed, they're probably in Annapolis because the courthouse keeps things for X number of years. I want to say six. I may be wrong. And then everybody goes to Annapolis. And Annapolis is like the iCloud Nobody really knows what it is. It just mm-hmm. is supposedly there. So Sharon had access to all of that. I know that she went and interviewed Maskell because she told me that he had a relationship with a female. And I said, You mean like a girlfriend? She goes, I don't really know. If she's a girlfriend. It was a strange relationship, but she was there with him. So I know she interviewed him. I personally think, and this is just my guess and opinion. I personally think that the decision not to prosecute anybody or to go forward on this was not hers. I think it was made higher up. I believe that Stu Sims was the state's attorney at the time. I would have to look that up. But whoever it was, that's an elected position. And whoever's in it is presumably running for re-election. And they're not going to alienate a huge portion of their support base by taking on a controversial 20-plus-year-old case. I think it was a political decision made by somebody higher up than Sharon May. She was the head of the sex offense unit, but there were a lot of people over her in that office, and this was getting a lot of press. And the other thing you have to remember is when this came out, and I don't know if you remember when it came out, it didn't get the positive reception that the keepers did. I think The Keepers was positively received partly because of the movie Spotlight, which was done so well, and people were ready to hear it. But at the time our case was going on, whenever something hit the newspaper, I got at least two phone calls a week from somebody along the line of, you should be ashamed of yourself trying to ruin the reputation of a fine man, You money-grubbing lawyers just trying to shake Money from the archdiocese, you should go to hell. And I thank you for calling. But that was a really big part of the reception that our case got at the time. It wasn't a popular case. A lot of people didn't believe it, didn't want to believe it. I don't think people were ready to believe it. People don't want to think that those kind of things happen. And so I think it was a political decision. Maskell ran off to Ireland as soon as things heated up.
2: What you've just shared with us, actually, I think I can put a piece of the puzzle in for you because you've just given me one. Shane, we can talk later about whether this should stay in the podcast or not, but the woman that you said worked for Sharon May as her in-house detective, Donna? Yes. Okay, partner is Deep Throat, and he told us that he and his partner were that the attorneys, you guys, told them, told the women who were coming to you that they should make a police report. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave
1: me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people if it's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks
2: before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and
1: her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me again my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
2: And that there were so many police reports coming in all at once that he said to his supervisor, you need to put Donna and I on this as a special project. And he claims that in... Him getting involved in the keepers, he still doesn't want to be named. That Donna said, "Please don't do this. This is not safe territory." And he backed out and didn't really share much with us after that. But mm. and I know what her name is. Apparently, she and he were working with Sharon because he said to us, they handed over all the interview notes that they had, and he said there were about a hundred of first and secondhand accounts, secondhand meaning this happened to my sister. or Right, mind that her. makes sense. And that he handed them up the line. And then when they got to Sharon May, he was aware that each of those people who came forward was interviewed by Sharon and that they came out of her office crying because she said to them, if you are going to go forward with this, you're going to look like a floozy. Nobody's going to believe you. You're going to be embarrassed and ashamed. This is, and he is a retired police officer. I'm not sure now what side of the fence he was playing on, but Donna said to him, like when the keepers was coming out, do not get involved in this again. It's not safe. He's opening a whole new Pandora's box for us, Beverly. Oh dear, I
0: want to do that?
2: That's okay. Oh, are you kidding? You're talking to Gemma. I will say that
0: in meeting with Donna, her reaction was appropriate horror. Mm-hmm. She was horrified at what she was hearing because right. I met with her and I met anybody that anybody that wanted a support system. I met with them. We met with Donna. We met with Sharon. We met with the Archdiocese. I sat in on many meetings and Donna was appropriately horrified. Sharon may be more skeptical than Donna, but... So when the whole thing dropped, I just assume, I believe that somebody higher up had made a decision. We're not going anywhere with this. And if they made that.
2: Yeah, we've tried to talk to her and Shane finally received an email back from her. I feel terrible for her because I think her practice is probably ruined if she hasn't retired because of the reaction everybody had to her segment in The Keepers. And she didn't have to be in the movie. She signed a release form, but we also know that her husband is a retired Baltimore City police officer. So right. with the involvement of some police officers in the abuse with Maskell, that could be a real bad situation for, the, for everybody. So who knows what the reason was, but what you've shared with us is, makes a lot of sense to me now about why it didn't ever happen. That's just what I believe,
0: because yeah, what well,
2: right now so we'll <laughs> believe
0: what you believe <laughs> because I would say that Donna was very i don't want to say aggressive, that's not the right word. Donna was very energetic about pursuing leads and talking to people, and she had the appropriate reaction and After I had met with her with certain people, I never talked to her again, and I saw her, I think she was in the Chambers conference with Judge Kaplan when he pulled out the various. Documents that they had unearthed in the graveside dig.
2: So, would, okay, so would your firm have said to these women who were coming to you,
0: it's important that you make a police report? I don't know that we would have encouraged them. I think what we, when someone would come to us and talk to us, I would always ask them, what is your goal? Because if somebody wants something that I can't help them with, then I'd shut it down real fast because we're wasting everybody's right right. time. And, if, and most often the goals were just, I want to corroborate these women that are being attacked. I want to help if I can. I don't recall telling people make a police report, I recall telling anybody we need to push to get this prosecuted because I don't think most of these people wanted it prosecuted. I think that my understanding of the sequela of this kind of trauma is that people compartmentalize it and live their lives however they can. And bringing it up and opening this box is painful. And they do it for various reasons, usually because they want to help somebody else. If my story helps somebody else, then I want to do that. But most of them in my experience, weren't, yeah, I want to bring in the police, I want to be on the front of the newspaper, and I want to bang this drum really loud and long. Most of them just quietly say, I have lived with this, and if I can help somebody else, and if I can prevent this from happening to somebody else, that was their goal.
2: When Abby and I went down to the archives to get the case files, what was available, the notation was two very large binders the notation on top said two binders or two folders and one box of evidence. And the box was never found. It was Mm. listed. but And I'm going to guess that was the box that Judge Kaplan would have had access to. Probably. the The archives tried very hard. Abby is very stubborn and very good with research, and it has never shown up.
0: So who knows? Who knows? There's just, there's so many, as you said, there's so many moving parts in this and there's so many opportunities for someone on the wrong side of the right thing to do to take action that it doesn't surprise me. You hit a lot of brick walls when you do this.
3: Beverly, earlier you mentioned already what you think happened to the materials from the cemetery. I want to just clarify. So you say that at least the box that the judge saw you believe just went to the archives in Annapolis?
0: I believe that's where everything went because I believe that all my understanding is that all of the boxes that were dug up from the cemetery were given to the prosecutor of uh, the detectives in Sharon May's office. I don't think they went to Baltimore City or even Baltimore County police to go through. I think they were taken to the state's attorney's office for their review first because that's when judge Kaplan brought us in. And it was, like I said, I believe Donna was there. I know Sharon May was there and he shared certain things. I would say he probably shared, I don't know, 20, 30 pages. He didn't share a lot of it. It wasn't even a box. And I don't know what his meeting with them was before he called all of us in, but because they were in the state's attorney's office files, What happens with files when they are when they're no longer active files in the courthouse is they go to the file room for X number of time and then they go down to the basement. And then after a period of time, they go to the storage facility in Annapolis and the archives that you went to. That's where I think they would have gone. I think people think that the city police had them. I don't believe that the city police ever had them because the investigation was being done out of Sharon's office.
2: So you don't think the story about a flood that ruined everything and everything got moldy and they had to get rid of it all is accurate? That's what we've been told over and over again.
0: It's possible. I will tell you that the basement Mm -hmm. of the city courthouse is not a pleasant place to go. You Mm -hmm. need a pellet gun to kill all the rats, but it's not a fun place to go. But could it have happened? Sure. I don't know. This is Baltimore. It floods like crazy.
2: Yeah, you're right. The storage facility that you referred to, we heard that there was a storage facility at Fort Meade. Is that, do you know anything about that? A police I do not. Facility? No.
0: I don't know anything about that.
3: Okay. I wanted to ask one more question. You brought this up a little bit ago, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. During the Doe Row case, when did you hear that Mashko fled to Ireland? What were your thoughts about that?
0: I'm trying to think of when I heard. because. He, unfortunately, this was so long ago, he was, my understanding is he took off after Sharon May's office got involved. Because I know Sharon said she interviewed him at the rectory. I guess that's what it's called, the rectory. And this was shortly before we filed suit. So things happened rapidly. He was relieved of his duties. Sharon May interviews him we file suit and suddenly he's gone. And we had asked Judge Kaplan for the ability to take his deposition. And because the issue before the court was this discovery rule question and the statute of limitations, Judge Kaplan said, no, we. I'm not going to allow you to take his deposition at this point. He only allowed us to take uh, Dr. Richter's deposition because he was old and we thought he was going to die before the uh, the case got mm-hmm. heard.
2: Beverly, can you share with us how you felt about participating in the keepers and if it was a hard decision to make?
0: You know what? It wasn't a hard decision to make. When we were approached, Phil Dante was not and is not in good health. And so he wasn't able to help. And I talked to Jim Maggio, and I don't know how much you know about Jim Maggio, but he is still a practicing Catholic. His father died when he was young and a Catholic priest served as a substitute father for his family. And this man was evidently a lovely, wonderful person. And Jim Maggio's position was, I'll help them any way I can, but I don't want to be on camera. So I was like, okay, I guess it's me. I was happy to help them. I have very fond feelings for Teresa and Jeannie. And as a mother, I the idea of someone doing that to children just horrifies me and so i was ha- i was happy to and i was actually thrilled that the keepers coming out after spotlight which i think laid some groundwork i was happy that it was so well received because i think that if nothing else what the keepers did is it increased awareness of how prevalent this is and the scars that it leaves and And it's funny because almost uniformly, people that I talked to that saw the keepers say that they were angry when it was over. They said, I was so mad. Mm I had a young friend who said, I finished watching it at 2 a.m. And then I went out and stomped through my neighborhood for an hour. I just Mm -hmm. was so angry. I was angry that it happened. I was angry that nobody was ever held accountable. I was angry that these women were treated the way they were. I was just angry. And I think it's gotten the next generation talking about it and talking about sexual abuse and talking about institutions that protect and cover up. I know my daughter, Sydney, and her group of 30-something friends follow this and are adamant about what can be done to prevent it. And so I think that's the really good thing that's coming from the keepers. Hopefully, the children of the next generation won't be as as Subject to what these women went through because of awareness and actions taken to make sure it doesn't happen. I think it also gets people talking, which is a good thing because Mm -hmm. I'm the age of these women. And I've thought, were I in this situation and had I gone home and told
1: my mother, would she have believed me? And the answer, quite honestly, is probably not. And that's terrible. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket
3: The Keepers was released two years ago now. I'd like to know what it's been like for you personally. And I'd also like to know, did you ever think that there would be an attorney general's investigation in Maryland? Could you have fathomed that during the Doe Row case?
0: I know, because like I said, this wasn't well received at the time. And you know what? Since it came out, two things have happened. Three things actually have happened. One, I've gotten recognized. I got stopped in the produce section at Giant one day by a woman who wanted to talk about it too. I got, I've been contacted by a lot of people around the country who said, can you help me? And I'm in the process, I'm semi-retired, shutting things down and I sadly can't help people, but it just shows you the pain that these victims are going through and they just want somebody to hear them and help them. And that is very sad. And third, I think my kids have new respect for me because when Mom oh. goes to work every day, but you don't really know what you're doing. What she's wow. doing, yeah. they now they're like, "Wow, you were involved in something cool. You tried." So,
2: were they aware that you were being filmed and that you were going to be featured in the series? They were. They were. Yeah, yeah. Beverly, you mentioned that you are semi-retired. Do you ever? I know people are going to ask this because they ask me personally. Do you ever do mediation
0: for abuse survivors? I don't, I don't. That's a whole, I think Joanne Suter does a lot of that. I, and I've heard that Teresa's gotten involved in that. But right, no, Teresa works, yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is, she's got, bless her heart, she's got just an insight that nobody else does. Your yes. heart breaks for her. This is a kid who was being abused by day and at night, had to sit at the dinner table and listen to her parents thank God for sending Father Maskell. Just horrible. We want to give you a
2: chance to either share anything you want or ask us or our listeners any questions. So is there
0: anything before we close that you would like to say? No, I just I just think that what you guys are doing, it's fabulous. And forward, I think it's just amazing. I think it, the Keepers started a huge ball rolling. Or actually, your ball started rolling before the Keepers. Yeah. Yep. And I... It, to the extent that it can help the victims is wonderful. And to the extent it can educate the public and prevent this from happening to anybody else, I think it's wonderful. Education is power and just the awareness. And I'm just thrilled that people were as receptive. I think Ryan White did an amazing job. He's just such a talented young documentary producer. And I thank you guys for what you do. We are so honored that you spent this hour with us.
2: You are lovely. And I've oh, never met I've never met you except to see you in a movie <laughs> and to hear about you from Jean and now to talk to you. But it's such a pleasure to meet with you. I hope maybe we can do it in person at some point. But Beverly, welcome to the tribe because you Oh, here. thank you. And Thanks now. for including me. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll turn it over to Shane.
3: I'd like to know in a time now in two thousand nineteen two years after the Keepers, as well as years after Spotlight came out. Do you think that a case like the Joe Rowe case would have a better chance now?
0: I think it would have a better case because a couple of things have happened. One, people are, there is more awareness and statute of limitations, statutes of limitations are being moved. The other thing is the DSM, which is I think it stands for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the handbook of diagnoses for psychologists and psychiatrists now includes recovered memories as a diagnosis. So the argument made by the defendants in my case that this is voodoo science and it's not accepted is no longer valid because the American Psychological Association has it in their manual. So I, I do think that it would. Probably go forward. I think, and I think the fact that the Archdiocese came out with such a black eye in this would hopefully give them some incentive to handle it with a little more diplomacy than they did ours. I thought they were just horrible. I can say that I'm not Catholic. <laughs> I have nothing to lose.
3: No ires in the fire. The
0: only time I go in a Catholic church is for a wedding, a christening, or a funeral, and that's not going to change in the future.